Welcome into the latest episode of Recruiting Down South, the Saturday Down South Recruiting Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. Go by SEC Mike on Twitter. Give me a follow there. On this episode, we'll recap the early signing day period, and you know, we really didn't know what to expect going into that one, and you know, there weren't quite as many surprises as I suspected there would be. You know, we didn't get a lot of the National Signing Day drama. I think perhaps the, the most drama we got was Emory Jones coming down to a last-second decision between Florida State and Florida. Obviously, he decided to commit and sign with the Gators uh, to be Dan Mullen's first quarterback. But, you know, beyond that, there wasn't a whole lot of drama this year. I think everyone was kind of anxious to see how everything played out. And basically from about 6 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, there was commits happening. Um, Obviously, the big story of the day, Georgia just kind of cleaned up. And a lot of people out there are wondering, are they the new Alabama? Have they surpassed Alabama? I mean, I think that's a fair question at this point. They finish with, uh, right now at least, they have the SEC's number one recruiting class. And, of course, they have the nation's top-ranked recruiting class. They jumped both Texas and Ohio State with a strong close, stealing a prospect late in the process from Alabama. Uh, but it was just a wild, wild day, and I thought the best way to go about it this one was just kind of to recap my thoughts and highlights from basically you know, almost like a running journal of what happened. So the first thing that caught my eye during the initial uh, signing day period, uh, Arkansas four-star quarterback Connor Nolan, uh, he signed and uh, announced, you know, he, he had been a long-time commitment to Arkansas there, but he signed with Arkansas from the Coliseum in Rome. That was the first image of the of the day. And I think uh, while that was a cool moment for Arkansas, that was basically the highlight of their day. They they ha- currently have the SEC's uh, number 14th ranked recruiting class, dead last. Uh, but it's nice to see they got uh, they got their quarterback right there to build around. So that was the highlight for them. And then uh, you know another bottom tier team who's currently. Uh, they finished with a number 12 recruiting class in the SEC as of Wednesday. Ole Miss, you know, they got off to a fast start. They're flipping prospects from Mississippi State. I'm sure that's, you know, that's going to be a big talking point in that state all day, uh, all the rest of the week, really. Um, Elijah Moore, four-star receiver, last minute, flips from Georgia to Ole Miss. That was a big one for the Rebels. Uh, you know, with the turmoil there that they've had, they've lost uh, Van Jefferson, obviously. A.J. Brown's sticking around. But, uh, you know, they're going to need some weapons on the outside uh, for Jordan Chiamo. Uh, you know, that, that's a big pickup there. So I liked what I saw from Old Miss. I think Matt Luke's doing a good job there so far on the trail. Uh, and then uh, right around 9 o'clock, things really started to kick into gear for, for Georgia. Land five-star offensive lineman uh, Salier. James Cook, there was uh, talk he may flip back to Florida State. They shut that down pretty quick. Cornerback uh, David Wilson, he had a chance to sign with Florida, but he turns around and signs with Georgia. So uh, that was a, that was a that was a big pickup there for the Georgia, and that was only the start. Uh, and that's also when uh, Sam Pittman starts sending out his creepy messages. I thought it was uh, particularly creepy the first one. I don't know if you if you haven't seen it, you got to go out there and check it out. Sam Pittman waving his pom poms with uh, some real harsh light right above his head made him look like uh like he was about to murder you in the back of his van or something he's got the number 69 jersey waving his pom-poms yes sir and uh i thought that was pretty creepy but uh, hey if it works for him it works for him 
Next thing that cost, caught my eye there, Tennessee landed a big duo out of Memphis. I thought it was critical to get to get the day going strong for Tennessee. I know they were didn't have a lot of prospects that they were looking to get, but two they were Jerome Carvin, four-star offensive lineman, and uh, running back James Banks. Uh, their teammates there at Cordova High School, they both in the same ceremony picked the ball. So that was that was a big pickup for Jeremy Pruitt. Soon after that, maybe this was the craziest rumor of uh, National Signing Day, but uh, <laughs> there was some speculation out there that Emory Jones had spurned Florida at the last minute. He was going to Florida State, and Dan Mullen had punched uh, one of the Florida Gators <laughs> reporters, which, I mean... That's as ridiculous as that sounds. I mean, stuff like that was floating around. It was floating around Vol Twitter. I saw it. So that got major traction. Um, a lot of credit to Florida for shutting that down early. And uh, <laughs> if, if you haven't seen it, you got to go check it out. Dan Mullen actually did an interview with that same reporter. And it was this was after they got Emory Jones. And he fake punches the guy. I mean, that... That was a that was a highlight there for for Dan Mullen. He he won today in my opinion, and of course the big commitment there, Emory Jones, as we as I went on to earlier, um, you know that was a tense moment I would say for the Gators. They really needed something to after losing Matt Corral, the quarterbacks there that they currently have on the roster there in Gainesville, nothing to write home about. They really needed this guy, Emory Jones. I think he fits exactly what Dan Mullen wants to do. He's very mobile. He's got a big arm. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts immediately for Dan Mullen, if not by the end of the, his freshman year at the very latest. They're going to need someone to build around, and I think they got the ideal piece. I think he fits even better than Matt Corral. Doesn't have any of the off-field issues that Corral has, so uh, I think all in all, that was that was a tr- tremendous flip there by the Gators. And one other thing caught my eye around that same, it was right around 11 o'clock Central Time. Uh, this is outside the SEC, but it was it was def- might have been the quote of the of the day there. Dabo Sweeney kind of uh, won him a five star offensive lineman, and apparently t- told the lineman that uh, you know Urban Meyer's basically on his way out. He's 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 on the back nine more or less is what it, what he what he claimed. And uh, you know the offensive lineman said you know that that didn't win him over, but. Uh, but it, it gave him something to think about, and he chose Clemson over Ohio State. So uh, <laughs> even the old good old boy Dabo is, is out there negatively, negatively recruiting. So I thought, I thought that was interesting. Of course, around noon, there wasn't much drama with this, but it was big that Georgia got the signature of uh, number one dual-threat quarterback Justin Fields. That's huge. I mean, this guy, people like Bruce Feldman saying he's the best quarterback prospect people have seen in a number of years. Uh, I mean, he's he's been compared to Cam Newton. I've he- I've heard that thrown out there. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that uh, plays out in Athens next year. Jake Fromm, I think he's he's been terrific, but uh, you know, to say that he's uh, you know the leading uh, offensive option they have there, that's you know it's not correct at all. And they got a if they got a Cam Newton esque player coming next year. Um, and I don't know how you're going to sit that guy. It's, it could be a similar dynamic to what you saw in Alabama this year with uh, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa, however you say his name. Uh, if Georgia can handle it that same way, and you know, like they always say, winning cures all, and it looks like Georgia's going to do a lot of winning next year, so that, it may not be an issue, but that's got to be something to watch. And then shortly after that, I thought it was really interesting uh, Marcus Spears made it made a comment that uh, he suggested Georgia had essentially surpassed Alabama in the SEC. Obviously, the Bulldogs just won the SEC. They're 
beating Alabama on the recruiting trail. So, I mean, that's, uh, as I, you know, touched on earlier, that's something to think about. It seems like a lot of people are, are on the Georgia bandwagon, and deservedly so. Kirby Smart's just killing it on the recruiting trail. Uh, obviously only lost one game. Going into the playoff, uh, I think they're a heavy favorite, in my opinion, against Oklahoma. So uh, that's something to watch there. Uh, sh- shortly after Spears made his comments, though, Alabama did land a five-star defensive in. Uh, I believe that was their only five-star of the day they got, but, uh, you know, it's pretty remarkable when uh, Alabama gets a five-star, and, and at this point we're saying they've only got one. I'm sure they'll have a, a few more lined up by the end, by February for sure. Uh, and, you know, continuing on the theme of Georgia, just ripping the hearts out of uh, every volunteer fan out there around 1.30 Central Time, five-star Cave Maids from Knoxville picks picks the Bulldogs. And I think that kind of sealed uh, Georgia with the the top offensive line in the nation for this hall. I mean, they got two five stars, two four stars, and a three star. And uh, I mean, that's back to back years. I think you could make the case that Georgia's had the top offensive line class in the nation. So that I mean, that's just remarkable. Uh, an hour later, guess again, Georgia picks another five star up. Brenton Cox he picks Georgia over Alabama, the defensive end there, recent decommit of Ohio State. Uh, I mean, Georgia's just rolling at this point. Uh, Tennessee made a nice rebound later in the in the afternoon there. They picked up uh, the number one junior college tight end in the nation, and they he actually picked Tennessee over Alabama and Texas A&M. So Jeremy Pruitt and his staff uh, putting in some work on the trail. They've only been on the job less than two weeks, and uh, picking up a premier tight end like that, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, but then <laughs> Georgia turns around and picks up two more four stars to close out the day. That kind of that's what gave him that final push to get over the hump, to become the number one recruiting class in the nation. As far as uh, the current standings are now, of course that could change. There could be there's they, I think I believe they have just a couple of handful of guys still out there remaining. Um, but of course they could get another big fish or two and just kind of pad their stats there. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how high. Georgia can rise. I know Luke Ford, the five-star tight end, is very high on their board. Um, who who finishes with the top class in the SEC? I think that's basically locked up at this point, but Georgia's is an outstanding chance to finish with the number one recruiting class in the nation for the 2018 cycle. Uh, so that's something we'll be watch, watching it for for sure. Our guest this episode on the Recruiting Down South podcast is Rivals recruiting expert uh, Mike Farrell. He's going to break down uh, his thoughts on the early signing period and uh, what it means moving forward. Uh, so this, this is a terrific guest, so let's, let's hear what he's got to say. The National Recruiting Director for Rivals, Mike Farrell, and of course you can follow him on Twitter, at Rivals Mike. If you're not following him already, you're, you're doing Twitter wrong, I'll just tell you that. Uh, but, uh, Mike, I just wanted to ask you, what, what is your uh, initial takeaway from the early signing period? I think it was a success overall. You know, I was a little skeptical about the timing at first. Um, but, you know, after all the hard work the coaches did and, and all the difficult decisions the kids had to make, I think all in all we had about 70 to 75% of the, the kids, maybe even higher than that, uh, sign on day one get this process over with. They can move on with their lives. They don't have to deal with the pressure of January. Um, you know, I think it was a success and I think it's going to probably be the bigger of the two signing periods moving forward. Um, once everybody sees how many kids signed this year, the media is going to start paying more attention to the December signing period than, than probably the February one. And, 
and we're going to be, you know, as media members covering um, December's signing period uh, a little bit more than we did this year. We covered it pretty good, but I don't think we even we expected how crazy it was going to be. So I don't know if you've seen this, but there's been a lot of people, a lot of chatter out there on potential of, you know, people saying they want the early signing period moved to August. So just based on your comments, it sounds like you don't think that's that's realistic. I don't think it's going to happen. That 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 would that would be my preference. You know, I, when I've started talking about the early signing period 15 years ago, when we started getting a bunch of decommitments and things started to get real crazy, uh, you know, when TV started getting involved. I thought an early signing period in August would be the, the proper thing to do. It gives you a lot of distance from the coaching carousel. It gives you a lot of distance from the second signing period. Um, it gives you distance from early enrollment. Um, and it gives kids an opportunity to truly get a break from recruiting. You know, everybody who signed yesterday is essentially getting a three-week break because the dead period is the dead period. Um, then you've got those three weeks in January, three to four weeks in January where things get crazy. If you allow kids to sign in August, I think you'd give them a, a good five, five, six-month break. Um, they could enjoy their senior season, wouldn't have to worry about coaches showing up and bumping them at school. Uh, they wouldn't have to worry about the, the weekly phone calls, the constant text messages, and they certainly wouldn't have to worry about December 1st where there's in-home visits and, and coaches are showing up to your house constantly. The, the problem with that, of course, is coaching changes. You know, if, if – Brendan Radley Hiles had committed to Nebraska in August, or Cade Mays had signed with uh, Tennessee in August, they'd be stuck. But I don't think that's a bad thing if they were choosing those schools for the right reason, which is uh, for the, the coaches themselves. And clearly those two examples are kids that chose, they chose a school for coaches, and I, I just never think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, now on more of a team-by-team -team basis, I wanted to obviously get your thoughts on Georgia. Uh, I read uh, the article you wrote last night. Uh, I recommend everyone going to Rivals.com and reading that, but one of the, your top uh, points there was essentially just Georgia and how they're locking down another offensive line class that's basically number one in the nation. I think most people would agree. Uh, what do you think was the bigger get there, just Georgia locking down those linemen or once again, getting a five-star quarterback who everybody loves in Justin Fields. I think it was the overall message that was sent, honestly. You know, they, they did get Jamari Sawyer, five-star offensive guard. They got Cade Mays, the, the kid I talked about from Knoxville, offensive tackle, five-star. Brent Cox, in-state kid. But they also landed, you know, Devon Wilson, who they flipped from Florida. They also landed Nadab Joseph, who they flipped from Alabama. Um, they held on to James Cook, the, you know, the younger brother of Dalvin, but Florida State wanted to steal back. And then they got Channing Tindall late, who's one of the top players in South Carolina. The message they sent yesterday was, we are amongst the elite in recruiting. This is not the same era as, as Mark Rick's era, which was a very good recruiting era. This is next-level stuff. This is Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson stuff. And I think that's the most important thing. Yes, it's important to get Justin Fields, the number two player in the country. It's important to get these offensive linemen, you know, because they're putting together arguably one of the best offensive line groups in, in the last couple of years. Um, but the message sent to recruits is that Georgia should be a school you look at, whether you're from Georgia, whether you're from Florida, whether you're from California, or whether you're from, uh, you know, Michigan. It doesn't matter. Uh, so the message was sent that they are elite, and Kirby Smart has 
has shown himself to be one of the best recruiters in football. Now, as someone who's you know studied Justin Fields, you've seen him play at the high school level and the camp level, and you a year ago seeing Jake Fromm. Uh, how do you, how do you compare those two? I know that's tough to say, but do you think that Justin Fields will see the field next year? If they put in packages for him, um, and they could do that, you know, Jake Fromm has done a great job. And listen, last year we were talking about the same thing. We were saying, well, with Jacob Eason being the true freshman quarterback, why is Jake Fromm going? Uh, you know, why is he going to uh, to Georgia? He's just going to sit behind them for three years, and that didn't work out so well. Um, you know, so I think we could be talking about Jake Fromm and next year and saying, well, geez, he was the guy last year, but Justin Fields is the guy this year. Um, so many things can change at the quarterback position and with offenses. I think right now the way I look at it is Fromm's done a great job this year, put together a tremendous season, has him in the playoffs. You can't really do better than that at this stage. Uh, Fields is more of an athletic kid, definitely moves around more, um, can run. Uh, a completely different quarterback, so maybe you put in a few packages around the goal line for him, or maybe you get him in there. Uh, one series in the first half to get his feet wet. You don't redshirt a Justin Fields. He's not going to uh, let that happen. He's too talented to sit. But I don't know. I mean, if you told me that Jake Fromm would supplant Jacob Eason and lead the team to the playoffs this year as a true freshman, I'd tell you you were crazy. So uh, people who say Justin Fields is nuts to follow two five-star quarterbacks uh, and that he's crazy for doing that, they just don't know. He could be the starting quarterback for Georgia as early as, as game one. You just have no idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, staying in the SEC East but shifting over to Florida, uh, Emory Jones, that was a huge pickup there for Dan Mullen to kind of build his offense around. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that addition? I think that's the biggest pickup of the day overall, um, you know, when you're talking about commitments uh, that happened yesterday. You know, this is a quarterback situation where – they don't have a solution. Felipe Franks has potential, but he's still very, very raw. Great arm, but decision-making isn't there. He's not overly mobile. You need a guy who can move around, who, who can create things. That's what Emory Jones could do. They wanted Justin Fields. They led for Justin Fields, and then they blew it. They, they lost out to Georgia. They had Matt Corral, who's an athletic kid, great arm, but he decommitted, went to Ole Miss after they started recruiting Emory Jones. and uh, They were sort of all in on Jones. If they didn't get him, it was going to be a huge hole in their class this year. They would have had to probably try to reach on a kid, um, you know, to fill that spot. I think he's a guy who can play early. Um, you know, he's not perfect by any means when it comes to accuracy and mechanics, but he's got a strong arm. And the most important thing is he can extend the play, uh, make people miss, and, and that's needed at Florida. And Dan Mullen does a good job with those dual threat quarterbacks, um, as we've seen in the past. So. That was probably, to me, the most important commitment of the day. Okay, well, staying in the SEC East, what were your thoughts on uh, Jeremy Pruitt and what his staff was able to accomplish in pretty much two weeks' time there? Yeah, they did a good job because he's juggling so much. You know, he's obviously juggling coaching the, the, you know, the Alabama defense and getting ready for the playoff. They jumped about 40 spots in our team rankings Um you know, they had a strong finish, I, I felt. Again, it's, it's not a world-beating finish, that, but they got a quarterback in J.T. Shroud. Has a lot of potential, you know, turned the ball over quite a bit, but plays for a really bad football team. And, and you know, I think he, he give him a, a year or two, he's going to develop into a, a pretty good 
player. Dominic Anderson is as athletic a tight end as there is out there. A Juco kid who can immediately impact. Been comparisons from, from people I know uh, close to the Alabama program to O.J. Howard when it comes to Dominic Anderson. So um, he could be that that type of, of impact guy. Jerome Carvin, offensive lineman from Cordova, and Jer- Jeremy Banks, running back from Cordova, two four-star kids. So finishing out the class the way they did, getting most of their guys signed, you know, getting Alante Taylor back. They've done a good job. Um, their recruiting ranking right now is 28. I don't know how much higher it's going to get. Um, these transition classes are very, very tough with the early signing period. Any coach that was hired in December is up against something no one else has ever been up against, which is this early signing period and all these kids being off the board and untouchable. So Jeremy Pruitt's going to have to fill out this class with some other guys and, and really do some very good talent evaluation over the next month or so. Uh, but their finish was strong. I don't think any team moved up more than 40 spots for us on the last day. Now, with the talent that Tennessee has in that state for the 2019 cycle and the 2020 cycle, you know, I've already looked ahead. It looks like there's a lot of a lot of elite talent in that state, in and around Nashville, in and around Memphis. How big was the Jeremy Pruitt hire looking forward to, to the next two classes for Tennessee? Well, it should be huge. We should see what Butch Jones did, which was recruit at a high level and keep all those kids in state. Because when Butch came in, his first full recruiting class was loaded with in-state talent. You look at the same situation here for the first couple of years, especially the Memphis area is growing when it comes to talent. Um, you know, the competition used to be fierce in Memphis with Ole Miss and some others. Ole Miss, obviously, with sanctions is going to be down a bit. I think they have an opportunity to really do a good job locking down the state. That's something they weren't able to do last year, and obviously they didn't do as well this year. Um, is a very good recruiter. He's known as that. I think the big difference is going to be can he develop players? Can he be the guy who recruits the top ten recruiting class for a couple years in a row, but then also develops them on the field and takes them to the next level? Because Bush Jones put up – two great back-to-back recruiting classes that uh, just never developed those guys as a cohesive unit. I think Pruitt has to prove that to me. But recruiting, I don't worry too much about Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt's ability to recruit. Okay, jumping over to the West, of course, we got to talk about Alabama. They loaded up on defensive linemen, defensive backs, two areas in need there, but they missed out on all their quarterback targets. Uh, any concern there for Nick Saban and the class he's brought in? No. I mean, you know, if they didn't have young quarterbacks, I, w- I would worry a little bit, but it's not like uh, Hertz is going to be, um, you know, a three and out guy. And it's not like they don't have Tua already, who's a very, very talented quarterback. Uh, and they'll get theirs. I mean, Alabama always does. So next year, if they focus on quarterback and want to bring in two, they'll get two four-star quarterbacks. I have no doubt in my mind about that. Um you know, it's a talented class. It's a smaller class than we're used to seeing. Alabama doesn't have the numbers that they usually have, which is why they're ranked a little bit lower than normal. They're still number six, which is high. Uh, everybody expects them to be one or two, as do I. That's not going to happen this year. I don't know what the numbers they have. But when you look at the talent that they're bringing in, and, and the kids they got yesterday, Christian Barmore and Diaby uh, and Oma, are both very, very raw prospects. Those are guys that you're going to hear from probably in a couple years, not next season, but a couple seasons from now as stalwarts on the defensive line. Jordan Davis could be a five-star by the time we end up our evaluations. 
Uh, you got Stefan Wynn, Cameron Lassie. So they're really loading up on the defensive line, which is important. And D-backs, Nick Saban and D-backs, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants. Uh, they rarely uh, flame out at that position, so I don't worry there either. Um, I think Alabama's going to be just fine. Anybody who's panicking about the number six class, if you're an Alabama fan, you really have been spoiled for over a decade. Yeah, I think you said it all right there. Uh, now, Auburn, I think they had, you know, it seemed like they had a quiet day, but still, according to rivals, they have the number three ranked recruiting class in the SEC. Uh, they bring in a big athletic quarterback in, in Joey Gatewood. And I really wanted to ask you about him because it seems like he fits exactly what they want to do on offense there. But despite that, it seems like for quite a while, Auburn's been looking around for a, potentially another quarterback. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Auburn class, and, and why would they be looking around for potentially a, a second quarterback? Yeah, a quiet day isn't a bad day in the early signing period. I mean, that's not a bad thing. Um, Notre Dame had a quiet day. Miami had a quiet day. Both of those have, you know, top seven recruiting classes. So you, what you do is you sign the guys you want to sign. The, the guys that don't want to sign, you continue to work on them. Uh, Quarterback-wise, Joey Gatewood's very interesting because there have been Cam Newton comparisons, which is very unfair to him. He looks like Cam Newton physically uh, out of high school. Uh, in fact, he's a little bit bigger than Cam Newton, maybe not as tall, but a little bit more filled out. But he's not a, a, a great passer. And Cam Newton out of high school was a very good passer. We had him as a five-star quarterback because he could throw the ball. He could throw the ball with accuracy. And then when, when he went off to Blinn, he took it to the next level with his athleticism and his ability to run the football. Joey Gatewood can run. Joey Gatewood can be fit into this offense. Joey Gatewood is not ready to play. So, you know, with Stidham coming back, and that's the assumption, um, they'll be in good shape there. I think Joey is a kid that has a lot of potential as a quarterback, but they were probably looking for someone who's more of a, a um, accomplished passer, somebody who's got better mechanics, better accuracy, um, better footwork and let Joey be sort of that project guy. Because I think if you look at the entire, you know, the, the whole group of kids that signed um, on Wednesday, the word project comes to mind with Joey Gatewood. He's either going to be great or he's going to be a tight end. And, and that's, that's a difficult thing to say, uh, but that's how much talent he has, but that's how many question marks we have about his ability as well. Okay, well, sticking in the West, LSU, you know, obviously this is the first full year of Coach O there recruiting for the Tigers, uh, not being under less miles, and I believe they brought in 10 linemen, so they really built it up on the trenches there. Uh, they didn't get m many flashy players. They're still still out there. They still have a couple targets there that they're going for, but uh, what are your thoughts on LSU's class? Well, they really wanted to get Anthony Cook yesterday, who would have been an elite defensive back pickup for them. Um, they've got a, a lot of young defensive backs, so it's not like he was the biggest loss in the world, but they had the lead for him for a little while, and, and Texas did a good job getting back in there and stealing him away. That was a bit disappointing. Um, they are loading up in the trenches, and they need to, especially as, as interior defensive linemen. That's something that has been, I think, a weakness for them probably for the last three or four years. Um, so when you look at a lot of these guys, they're 290 pounds, they're 315 pounds, they're, they're 340 pounds. They're, they're getting big guys that can, you know, be stout in the middle because they haven't had a problem with edge rushers. Um, they haven't had a problem at linebacker, obviously. they got some talented guys there. 
And on the offensive line, they're, they're loading up there as well. They got two freshmen that played this past season. Um, you know, but <clears throat> still, they want to be a physical football team. And if you're a physical football team that's going to run the football, you'd better recruit four or five offensive linemen every year that can run block. And uh, some of the guys they got on here are very, very established run blockers. Some of the guys, um, you know, like the Juco kid, Troyori from, from uh, Brooklyn, can come in and play right away because they're physically ready and they're coming from junior college. So they hit a lot of needs. They had a quiet day as well, but I think only two of their or three of their guys are unsigned right now. So, again, a quiet day, number 12 recruiting class. A little low for LSU. You expect them to be top eight because of the recruiting advantage they have in state. Um, so I, they've got a little work to do. I think they, they need to, you know, close out on a few guys uh, down the stretch here. Terrace Marshall would be a help. He's announcing Friday, uh, big wide receiver. Uh, I think he's going to choose LSU unless Texas A&M pulls the upset there, and that'll really boost their class offensively. Okay, one final question I have for you before I let you go. Um, according to the Rivals 250, uh, 168 of those 250 players signed yesterday, so that's that's right at 67%. Uh, does that Does that number surprise you? It does, and that's you know low compared to the the rest of the recruits because most of the three stars and and obviously two stars signed. So when you have every everybody in the two hundred and fifty is either a five or a four star. When you have sixty seven percent of your five and four stars of the top two hundred and fifty players in the country, that means the early signing period is no joke. Um, I think overall probably seventy five percent to possibly as high as 78 percent of the kids in the country signed um this is the way it's going to be so there's not much left out there when it comes to talent um and it's going to be very interesting to see in january as these schools battle for these kids i think you're going to see some of them be overvalued i think you're going to see uh some schools jump in that haven't been in the race for some kids you know we got a lot of kids that haven't signed that have a top five I think a top five could turn into a top eight very quickly as schools jump into the mix here. And I think you're going to see some dramatic decisions in February simply because of all the attention that these kids who didn't sign are going to get over the next uh, six weeks. Right, because you got a, you got schools like Georgia and Alabama, instead of worrying about 25, they may only have to worry about five or six. And they're going to really focus on those guys. And, and you're going to have schools that jump in as well. Alabama, for an example, has 17 commitments. Um, you know, they're going to jump in on some kids. And when Alabama comes knocking, let's say they haven't offered, or let's say that, you know, Florida State's a great example. They offered Jaden Woodby a week before he committed to them yesterday. Um, when Alabama comes in or a school like that comes in and throws an offer at you that you didn't have before, you're going to listen, you're going to pay attention, and it could mix up your entire recruitment. So I think we're going to see some exciting stuff. It wasn't very exciting yesterday. There wasn't a lot of drama. There were a few, you know, flips and things like that, but it wasn't a dramatic day. I think February will be very dramatic because the pool is, is much smaller now. Interesting thoughts. All right, well, uh, that's, again, that's Mike Farrell from Rivals. You can follow him on Twitter, at RivalsMike. If you're a recruit, recruiting junkie, and you, you must be if you're listening to this podcast, he's a must-follow. Uh, thanks again, Mike. I really appreciate you jumping on with us here. All right, no problem. Take care. All right, I want to thank Mike Farrell once again for coming on the program. I mean, that, that was a terrific interview right there. 
Uh, I think I think he made a lot of good points about Georgia and, and Alabama and Tennessee moving forward. You know, obviously there's still quite a bit of movement that can happen. There's still two days left in this initial early period. Uh, there's the traditional signing day in February, of course. There's going to be a lot of movement there. So if you're not happy with where your team's at, there's still plenty of time for them to recover. Don't freak out just quite yet. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Just want to end on that note. Same note as always. Don't tweet recruits.